Let me just invite you to take your Bible and turn to the Gospel of Matthew. I realize I stand in a very dangerous and precarious place that as I stand between a church house full of Baptists and lunch. (laughs) So I want to be appropriately brief. You say, what does that mean? To a Baptist preacher, nothing at all. Matthew chapter 16, as I announce that we'll begin in verse 13. Bible students will recognize this text as the great confession of the Lord Jesus Christ offered by the life and lip of Simon Peter. And this morning, for just a few moments, I want to speak from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 24, admittedly honing in on that 24th verse. I want to talk to you this morning about the high cost of following Jesus. I heard the story of a brilliant thief. He wanted to rob one of these big box department stores, but he knew that he could not just sneak in at night and take off everything that he wanted to steal. So he slipped in right after closing time and with one of those bar scan pricing guns, he took some cheap stickers and put those barcodes over the barcodes of the expensive items and then the next day, going through the self-checkout line, went through and robbed that store blind by paying a little bit of money for very expensive items. Now, I've heard that story in many different locations. I confess to you, I don't know if that story is actually true or if it is a preacher story, but I believe it represents the truth that the great deceiver, the liar and the father of all lies, the one that Jesus says was a thief who came to steal, to kill and destroy, he has infected and infested many of the churches of the American culture. And he has changed the price tag of what it means to be a follower, a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want you to listen very carefully and listen to the entire introduction. Don't stick me in one soteriological camp to which I don't belong. And if you don't know what that means, I wasn't talking to you. (laughs) But our modern culture and even the modern church has changed the price tag of being a follower of the living Lord. Now it's just bow a head, close an eye, pray a prayer, lift a hand. No one will see you but me because we want you to be able to hang on to your pride while you accept Christ at the same time. You don't have to change. You don't have to attend. You don't have to serve. You don't have to give. You don't have to study. You don't have to believe. You don't have to sacrifice. Go on believing whatever you want to believe. Nobody will correct you. Go on living any way you want to live. No one will challenge you. Do what you want and the Jesus that is sold from many of our pulpits will ride in the passenger seat of the vehicle of your life. He won't correct you when you turn the wrong way. He knows his place. He'll keep his mouth shut and leave you alone and just be grateful that you have allowed him to come into your life. You can ignore his teachings and spurn his command, but hey, there's good news. Mama wrote a date in the front of your children's Gideon's New Testament, so you're good to go as far as eternity and judgment. This counterfeit Christianity, which is no Christianity at all, 
has changed the price tag of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I do understand the difference between salvation and discipleship, the difference between being saved and walking in sanctification before the Lord. But I've come today to say that Jesus keeps the standard high and he lowers the boom at Caesarea Philippi about the high cost of following Jesus. If you're physically able, I invite you to stand for the public reading of God's Word. This text will be familiar as it falls on your ear. Listen to the inspired, infallible, and inerrant Word of your God. Matthew 16, beginning of verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some... Elias and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, And upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then mysteriously charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Some people act like that's the only verse in the Bible they know. (laughs) Verse 21. And from that time forth, Jesus began to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again on the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Peter rebuking Jesus, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he, Jesus, turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me. Who? Satan, thou art an offense unto me. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. The next word of our inspired text is then. Would you say the word then? Then. After all that he had just said, then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. May God bless the reading of his word as we take our seats this morning. I want to dive right into the teaching that God has laid on my heart. And like the message that I brought last evening, this is not what I would consider a Bible conference message. It's not a sugar stick message that I have preached and many other churches, but it is the message that I believe the Holy Spirit laid upon my heart and it dovetails so wonderfully with the message that our brother brought just a few moments ago. I want to first of all say a word about the context of this teaching as we hone in on verse 24. And if you're taking notes, I want you to jot down number one. I want to say a word about what this timing illustrates. What this timing illustrates. Illustrates When we got to our main verse that we're looking at this morning, I got you to recite with me that God the Holy Ghost moved through the hand of the Apostle Matthew and said, write down 
that Jesus made this iconic statement about if any man will come after me, he's got to deny himself and take up his cross daily and, and follow me. Write down that Jesus made this statement then. Matthew makes sure everybody understanding and reading this passage understands that Jesus made this statement in the immediate aftermath of some other things that had happened and some other things that had been said. As we think about what this timing illustrates, here's the question. Why did Jesus say this here? Why did he say this then? Was there a faulty notion he was trying to correct? Some flawed thinking he was trying to set aright? Had they perhaps begun to think that being a follower of Jesus was something other than what Jesus said being his follower would be about? What does this timing illustrate? Well, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell us about this statement from Jesus. And putting all three of these gospel accounts together in what we might call a chronological Bible, I want to establish the historical biblical context for this statement. I want to say three things about it. First, I want to say a word about the power that he had demonstrated. Then, Jesus said unto his disciples, Now, when you put all three of the synoptic gospels together, you discover Jesus was in the immediate aftermath of performing a bevy of miracles. Signs and wonders marked the earthly ministry of Jesus. We know very well from reading the gospel accounts that Jesus opened the eyes of the blind and unstopped the ears of the deaf. He loosened the stammering tongue. He, he, he cleansed the leper. He strengthened the lame. He healed those that were sick and on several occasions even raised the dead. And in the immediate context of this statement, Jesus had healed the centurion's servant. He had raised the widow of Nain's son from the dead. He had calmed the sea, healed the gathering demoniac, healed the woman with the issuing of blood. He had raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. He had fed the multitude. And the crowds are swelling and the numbers are rising and Jesus is about to remind them that spine-tingling signs and goosebump-producing wonders are not what being a disciple of Jesus is about. For example, in our day, there's a crowd that would drive halfway across the state to go to an all-night gospel sing, but they won't drive halfway across town to go to their own Sunday school class. I'm talking about college students in the state of Georgia who'll spend the entire weekend and hundreds of dollars to drive up to a big civic arena in Atlanta to hear all of the bands and hear all the famous speakers so-called preach, but they won't even go to their own church when they're in town on Sunday morning. 
I'm talking about folks that'll follow gospel singers around so much that you're going to die of over-inhalation of diesel fumes, but you won't even applaud when your own choir sings the high praises of God on Sunday. And Jesus sent me here today to tell you that in this over-caffeinated, highly stimulated culture where everything's got to be spoon-fed with the sugar of exhilaration, preacher, tell a funnier story than the one you told last week. Choir, tighten it up one round tighter than the one you did last week. Just, just, just stir my emotions a bit more than you did last week. Jesus turns to his disciples and wants them to know that living on the mountaintop of exhilaration, that's not only not usually what Christianity is about, it's not even regularly what Christianity is about. And Jesus says, if you think that every day following me is about having everything go your way, you better understand something if you're going to follow me. You're going to have to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. He said this in the context of the power that he had demonstrated. Then said Jesus to his disciples. I think this morning not only about the power that he had demonstrated, but the preaching that he had declared. Over in Luke chapter 8 and verse 1, Luke records this statement in Luke 9, 23. And in Luke chapter 8 verse 1, the scripture says that they were going from city to city and village to village proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. And the crowds were flocking to Jesus. Not only because of the miracles that he was performing, but because of the messages that he was preaching. And do you know what they said at the end of his sermons? They said, We never heard nothing like that in all our yesterdays. That's how they would have said if they were in South Georgia. (laughs) Never a man spake like this man. In other words, let me tell you why I'm excited about being a follower of Jesus. Woo, didn't he shuck the corn today? Oh, I mean, he just dusted off a spot and preached. But yet when some faithful child of God would just open up a Sunday school quarterly and the Word of God and just start trying to teach line upon line and precept upon precept, they were as bored as watching grass grow and paint dry. I want you to listen to me, beloved. I'm thankful for the excitement and the enthusiasm that marks the services of the church where I'm a member. I'm not in favor of dead orthodoxy. I'm thankful that there's emotion and expression in this wonderful Bible conference and in this great church. But here's the context. To a group that would be willing to follow Jesus as long as the choir is on and the preaching is hot, as long as the congregational singing is vibrant, as long as the lights are down and the smoke machines are working, as long as the preacher's wearing the latest style, which these days means he looks like he bought his jeans in the women's department and got on a plaid little shirt that's about two sizes too small with a hairdo that shows he's in desperate need of somebody handing him a comb. As long as all my friends are there and the altars are filled and people are joining the church right and left, as long as that's going on, I want to follow Jesus. And Jesus says, that's not what being a disciple is about. And then he said to his disciples, the power he had demonstrated, 
the preaching that he had declared. Listen now, this context also involves the pain that he had described. Now most of us know that Simon Peter, old old foot in mouth Simon Peter, you've heard it said before, only took his foot out of his mouth to put the other one in. We all know, if you're a Bible student, that Peter is the one to whom Jesus said, Get thee behind me, Satan. But but fewer of us remember the context of that. The crowds are swelling and the miracles are flowing. And Jesus says, Boys, step over here to the side with me for just a moment. I need to let you know something. I'm headed to Jerusalem. I've not come just to be a miracle worker. Yes, I came for that. I've not come just to be a teacher. Yes, I came for that. But I came because in the city of Jerusalem, there's a skull-shaped mountain called Calvary. I'm going to be despised. I'm going to be rejected. The text doesn't say it, but he might have said, I'm the suffering servant from the book of Isaiah. They're going to lead me like a lamb unto slaughter. I'm going to be silent before my shearers. God the Father is going to place on me the iniquities of all of his people and is going to crush me under the weight of his own holy wrath. I am going to die in the city of Jerusalem. And Simon Peter said, God forbid that suffering should ever happen to you, Jesus. This is why I agree with our brother. Had we been there that night in Gethsemane, we would have not been running for our lives without trying to grab Jesus and get him out of there with us. Simon Peter says, God forbid that your future would involve a cross. Are are you listening with New Testament gospel ears? Simon Peter said, Jesus, God forbid that you would die on the cross. And Jesus said, when you don't realize there is a cross of suffering and death and sacrifice in my future, you've got your mind on the things of the world and not on the things of God. You're thinking like the devil himself. In fact, get thee behind me, Satan. And then he said... Not only is there a cross of suffering in my future, if you're going with me, there's going to be one for you too. Paul said that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Jesus said if they hate me, they're going to hate you. And if they hate you, just remember they hated me first. Jesus said in John 16, 33, in this world you will have tribulation. And we're thinking about what this timing illustrates. If you think that being a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ is primarily about dynamic, exhilarating activities and every day is going to be just one long worship service for you, you are missing the point. And I think we as pastors can be among some of the worst offenders. I mean, while our brothers are being beheaded, even as we speak on the foreign soil, we're ready to throw in the towel while some cantankerous deacon said that we preached a little bit too long. While Syrian Christians are beheaded on the beach, 
and their blood is mingled with the sand and the ocean water. We want to throw in the towel because somebody said they didn't like the choir special. May God have mercy on our soul. We're ready to move our letter to the church down the street just because the air conditioning was just a little bit cold. We know precious, precious little about a cross of sacrifice. And then he said to his disciples, see, if you don't understand the context, you won't rightly hear the command. So think with me not only firstly about what this timing illustrates, but I want you to think also about what this teaching impacts. What areas of the Christian life are impacted by this one singular claim in verse 24. It's a simple but a profound lesson. And I know that Jesus was a first century Baptist because he gave a three-point sermon. <laughs> Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. There are three things that are going to be required to be a follower of the Lord Jesus. Three Areas of life that are impacted. And the first one, I've just called it my desires. Look at verse 24. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Now that word deny is a very picturesque and strong word. It speaks of being cut off. It speaks of separation. It speaks of disassociation. It describes someone that was in a relationship but is no longer in a relationship. You've had severed relationships in your life and that's the word that is used here. Jesus says there are some relationships in your life that are going to have to be severed and cut off if you're going to be my disciple. Now, it's not the primary focus of this text, but may I remind you that David said in Psalm 1, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of the scornful. Someone in this building this morning, even a Friday morning Bible conference, you will never be the disciple that Jesus is inviting you to be unless you cut off some ungodly relationships. Maybe it's a relationship with a person. Maybe it's a relationship with your cell phone. Maybe it's a relationship with your iPad. Maybe it's a relationship with the Internet. Maybe it's a relationship with a bottle of booze. You're never going to be a good follower of Jesus Christ if you're not willing to say no to some things and set them aside and cut them off. This teaching was illustrated to me when I was in the seventh grade. You see, up to that point, I was able to ride to school with my parents. But when I, when I went into the seventh grade, I talked my parents into letting me ride the bus. It really wasn't that far from our house, but I would walk about two blocks to the bus stop. And the bus would stop there and Kids from about two or three blocks in every direction would convene at that one bus stop. And it was on the first day of school in the seventh grade at the bus stop that I met Tony. Tony didn't come from a godly family. Tony's parents let him drink, smoke. They were the first people on our whole side of town that I knew of that had a satellite dish. Y'all tracking with anything I'm saying? Yeah. I remember laying in bed. See, I got saved when I was eight years old, so I'd been a follower of Jesus. I'd been a Christian for about four years at that point. Holy Spirit had taken up residence in my heart. And by the mercy of heaven, I was laying in bed one night and the Holy Spirit wouldn't let me go to sleep. 
I want to talk to you about something. What do you want to talk about, Lord? Have you noticed there's a connection between all this stuff you've been doing? These sins you've been committing? I mean, the first time you got in trouble on the bus, who was with you? Tony. First time you got sent to the principal's office, only time, thankfully, ever got sent to the principal's office, you know who I got sent with. First time I ever said that word. First time I ever did this. First time I ever did that. And I'm not going to glorify sin or by telling you what all of them were. It was everything that a 12-year-old boy would be interested in doing when he gets away from God. First time you did this and this and this and this and this. It was a common denominator. Tony. And so I determined that night as a 12-year-old boy, Tony's got to go. Now I'm going to be nice to Tony. I'm going to apologize to Tony. I'm going to try to win Tony to Jesus. Now I'm going to be Tony's friend, but unless Tony gets saved, Tony, Tony can't be my friend anymore, not, not like he has been. Do you all understand what I'm saying? I hope that you do because none of that's what Jesus is talking about. He doesn't say, if you're going to be my disciple, you've got to deny and disassociate from and disfellowship from some cantankerous person in your Sunday school class, some backslidden pagan down at the workplace. He says, if you are going to follow me, you've got to cut things off from yourself. I'm talking about looking in the mirror and saying to myself, Mike Stone, every time I make decisions based on what you want to do, you get me in trouble. Every time I say what you want me to say, I get in trouble with that person and I get in trouble with God and I'm just flat not going to listen to you anymore. Every time I go where you want me to go and do what you want me to do and say what you want me to say and think what you want me to think, every time I look at what you want me to look at, I get in trouble with God. Mike Stone, you'll have no more place in my life. I am cutting you off. I was going to a Bible conference in Green Bay, Wisconsin which is actually not a very large city. And the last part of my travel was from Detroit, Michigan on a little puddle jumper plane into Green Bay. I did not realize when I agreed to that event, it was the opening ceremonial weekend for Green Bay Packer football. (laughs) I think on that plane, I was the only non-former Green Bay Packer. I'm telling the truth. They'd invited all the former players that could make it back to Lambeau Field to be there for pre-game, pre-season ceremonies. And I was sitting there in that little plane. Now, y'all look at me. Look at me. I'm minding my own business. Look, I've got some striped suits with with only one stripe. I, I realize I'm not that big of a guy, but I'm sitting there minding my own business when I see him coming down the aisle looking at his seat marker and looking up at the seat, and he's looking at his ticket and looking at the seat, and he's starting to laugh, and I'm starting to cry because he's having to turn sideways to get down that little aisle, and his thighs are calling out to one another, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, pardon me, and he sat down in all of his seat and about two-thirds of my seat, and I'm up here against the window in that little plane like this. I said, I guess you're with the Packers. 
We engaged in conversation. He was an older gentleman. I asked who were some of the people he played with. He named a lot of names, frankly, I'd never heard of. And I asked him, I said, who was, who was the baddest dude you ever lined up against? He was an offensive lineman. Who was the baddest dude you ever lined up against in the NFL? And I'll never forget what his answer was. He went. He wasn't meaning he was the best lineman. He meant for all the trouble that I got from the D-line, the first person I had to deal with was myself. The one that didn't want to work out in the off-season. The one that didn't want to get in the weight room. The one that didn't want to push back the plate of all of the food that would not help me be prepared to play football in the NFL. The one that didn't want to do what he needed to do. I had to deal with him first. That's what Jesus is talking about. Do you know who your biggest problem is? This is going to help some marriage in the building this morning. Your biggest problem is you. I got a man in my church gives me grief. He's trying to ruin my ministry, Brother Glenn. His name is Mike Stone. What does this teaching on discipleship impact? First, it impacts your desires. Secondly, we've already hinted at this, it will involve your death. Let him deny himself. And then what? Take up his cross. What in the world does that mean? When Jesus told these first century apostles they were going to have to take up a cross, what was he talking about? Now for us, the cross is a piece of jewelry around the neck. It's, a, it's an icon at the top of a steeple. It, it's, it's something on stained glass over the baptismal pool. What did those men hear when Jesus said, you've got to take up your cross? I, I, I just want to get as simple as I know how to get this morning. I believe he was talking about and I believe they were hearing about a cross. Tens of thousands of people had been crucified by the Romans at the time of the earthly life of Jesus. They understood the meaning of crucifixion. They knew what Jesus was talking about. Jesus was a great master teacher, and as a master teacher, he's not hiding the meaning. Brother Hunter was talking about how the deacon's not going to stand out on the front porch and say, what was he trying to say? You wouldn't have to do that if you were really listening with spiritual ears as the master teacher taught about being a follower. And he says it's going to involve a cross. That is, it's going to involve suffering. It's going to involve difficulty. It's going to involve hardship. Hymn writer Thomas Shepard put it so beautifully. Must Jesus bear the cross alone while all the world go free? No, there's a cross for everyone and there's a cross for me. I get so absolutely sick and tired of watching the Joy Boys on TBN and other television networks who try to teach you that when you got saved, you got a Teflon suit that immunized you from difficulty. Friend, the Greek word for that is hogwashone. <laughs> Jesus said, I remind you, in this world you will have tribulation. 
You say, isn't he making me a place where there's no heartache or suffering or death or separation? Yes, he is, but you're not at that place yet. You're in Lebanon, Tennessee. Isn't there a day coming where he'll wipe every tear from our eyes? Oh, yes, but we're not on that day. We're in March of 2017. And Jesus teaches us very clearly, if you're going to be his follower, it's not all going to be sunshine and rose water. It's going to regularly involve hardship and heartache and difficulty. And you've just flat got to make up your mind and persevere for the glory of Jesus. He says, if you're going to follow me, you've got to deny yourself. Take up a cross. Then he says, follow me. That speaks not just of our desires and our death, but of our direction. Follow me. Now, the admonition here is not to follow a pastor. I've been called a cult leader, Brother Glenn. Folks ask, what flavor Kool-Aid do we drink up at Emmanuel? I've got it where I tell them grape. I mean, go with it, man. But if you'll listen to this pastor preach, he's telling you in every sermon not to follow Glenn Denton. Follow Jesus. One sign of a cult is they don't let you out. Friend, I, I hadn't been here but a few times. There are exit doors all over the place. They even got them lit so you can find them. <laughs> Jesus says, you've got to follow me. Now, what does it mean to follow Jesus? They sit in rocket surgery. Yeah. I know what I said. I'm just saying if you're listening. Yeah. It means you step where I step. You go where I'm going. You listen and you repeat what I'm saying. You watch and you do what I'm doing. This was illustrated to me the opening weekend of deer season down in South Georgia. We had a big rain and I was going to be hunting in a buddy's stand with my son in a creek bottom that had been a dry creek bottom the week before. A lot of rain came through, so my boy and I, we got our hip waders on. And I'd already known that sooner or later during the season there was going to be water in that creek, so I'd already kind of spotted out and put, you, you hunters know what I'm talking about, I'd, I'd hung some little flags, you know, marked some places, the high spots on the creek. And I said to my boy, you're going to end up in the creek now if you don't pay very close attention. I want you to watch where daddy's walking. You step exactly where I've stepped. Son, if you don't want to end up in danger, I didn't use all these words, but this is what I was trying to communicate to him and what Jesus is trying to tell us. You want to stay out of trouble? I, I'm talking about trouble that is not God-ordained. You want to keep from shipwrecking your life? As we walk through the storm-tossed water of this world, you watch where I'm stepping, and you watch where I'm walking, and you do your best to step exactly where I'm stepping, son. If you're going to walk with me, we don't want to just go in the same general direction. I want you to follow in my footsteps. And Jesus said, if you're not willing to do that, he doesn't say you're going to be a bad disciple. He says you can't be a disciple at all. If you're coming after me, you absolutely, M-U-S-T, must... Deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. 
Now I want to ask you a series of simple questions. What right does a doctor have to call herself a doctor if she won't see patients, diagnose illnesses, and write prescriptions? That's what a doctor does. What right does a teacher have to call himself a teacher if he won't give assignments, grade homework, and write lesson plans? That, that, that's what a teacher does. What right does a truck driver have to call himself a truck driver if he won't drive trucks? That's what a truck driver does. Are y'all following anything I'm saying? What right does a ditch digger have to call himself a ditch digger if he won't be a digger of ditches? That's what a ditch digger does. Then what blessed right does a man, a woman, a teenager, a little boy or a girl have to call themselves a Christ follower if they're not actually following Jesus? If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So you see what this timing illustrates and what this teaching impacts. One last thing, and we're all going to lunch, is what this truth involves. Now Matthew does not record this specific word, but the other gospel writers do. It's the little word, daily. Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This speaks of the consistency of discipleship that is required by Jesus. Are y'all listening? I've been in the church where I'm blessed to be a member for now 20 and a half years. And Brother Glenn, in those two plus decades, I have discovered every single member of that congregation can be counted on, all of them. You say, what an incredible church. No, listen. Some can be counted on to sing. Some can be counted on to pray. Some can be counted on to soul win. Some can be counted on to give. Some can be counted on to volunteer. Some can be counted on to sacrifice. And some can be counted on to quit. Let that sink in. Some years ago, we had a brand new staff member, and he came to one of his first staff meetings all excited. He had inherited a vacancy in one of the ministries up under him. And he came to that staff meeting. He had found someone uh, and recruited someone, enlisted someone the the day before on Sunday. And she said she'll, she'll take that spot. She's ready to serve. I said, wonderful, wonderful. Who was it? And when he named the name, the countenance of everyone else in the room dropped. Who's going to tell him? Who's going to tell him what? Who's going to tell him that woman will probably be here at church yesterday and probably this Sunday and then you won't find her again for six blessed months? Who's going to tell him? She's inconsistent. Oh, when she comes back in six months, she'll want to sign up to be the head of the women's ministry, but don't let that bother you. Just tell her, yes, you can have it and just move on because she ain't going to be back for a while. The use of the word daily reminds us of three simple things, and I'm finished. One, listen to me now, a decision for Jesus. A decision. Notice how the text begins in verse 24. Then Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me. That word will, also rightly translated as wants or wishes, speaks of a conscious act of the mind. 
One Greek lexicon says the construction of the word intentionally, listen carefully, intentionally distinguishes this decision from an act of impulse. In South Georgia, we talk about having a made-up mind. Let me illustrate. Some months back, my wife texted me right around the time that I told her I was going to be leaving the office, which is probably one of the biggest lies my wife gets told. She texted me that day, you about ready to come home. I said, yes. She said, could you stop by the Piggly Wiggly and get, the, get, get a few last-minute items for, the, for, for supper that she was fixing? And I said, yeah, text me the list. And so I went in the Piggly Wiggly in Blackshear, Georgia with my phone out, and I had my text up, and there were only three or four items there. And so I shopped like a man shops. So I went, boom, 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 I'm out of here. Amen. If you don't understand that, you probably need a testosterone shot. But I got up there to check out. And they had this rack of all this stuff there. You, you know what I'm talking about. Mint, and gum, big lighters for the deacons. <laughs> and I saw them there calling out my name. Mike, Mike, Mike. It was a big king-sized tube of Rolos. I'm talking about chocolate and caramel. I believe they'll have those at the marriage supper of the lamb. Could I get an amen? I figured if one roll of Rolos would be good, two would be even better. So I put two of those up on the conveyor belt. Now listen to me. I, I did not intend to buy those Rolos when I went in the store, but I bought them at the last minute. Do you know what the grocers and retailers call that rack, that display of stuff right by the register? They, they call them impulse buys. You didn't intend to buy it, but you bought it at the last minute. You weren't planning on doing it, but you did it anyway. And Jesus makes this simple statement. Listen, beloved, and we're about to head to lunch. You will not be my disciple if you make your decisions in the moment based upon impulse. There's no such thing as Christ honoring, Jesus exalting, impulse discipleship that you've got to flat make up your mind now what you're going to do. You know why a lot of people don't come to church in the rain? They didn't make up their mind in the sunshine. You know why a lot of folks don't go to church in the summertime? They didn't make up their mind in the springtime. You know why a lot of men go off and leave town with a short skirt down at the office? It's because they didn't make up their mind when they were at the house with the wife of their youth. I, by the grace and strength and help of Almighty God, I am going to serve the Lord. A decision for Jesus. But then I also notice there's a desire for Jesus. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. I cannot stress this enough. We're talking about pursuing Jesus. Not pursuing blessing, pursuing Jesus. Not pursuing a change of behavior, pursuing Jesus. Not pursuing a good reputation in the church or the community, but pursuing the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to add one thing and we're going to eat. Not only a decision for Jesus and a desire for Jesus, but a devotion to Jesus. 
I'm talking about being a disciple. Jesus says, if any man will come after me, he's talking about being a disciple. Has it occurred to you that the word disciple and the word discipline about the same word? By my count, I think you've got to get over to about the eighth letter before they're even spelled any differently. In our culture, we have been so motivated by the flash, the glitz, and the glitter, the emotion. Jesus teaches us here, if you're not willing to live a disciplined life, you're not ready to live a disciple's life. Could I add one illustration before we're done? Last football season, I got a call on a Thursday afternoon. One of the men in my church who has a lot of big corporate accounts, he said, Pastor, my my business has just come up on six executive level box seats for this Saturday's game at Sanford Stadium with the Georgia Bulldogs. He said, six? I said, that sounds like me and my wife and all four of our kids. He said, we've got you a condo already. It's paid for right across the street from Sanford Stadium. Now, I knew because I knew this man and I knew what the invitation meant that this... This was the, these were the seats where the, where the millionaires and their guests sit, okay? And I called him by name, old brother. Thank you. He said, I thought about you in part because it's a 12 o'clock kickoff. That's about a four-hour drive from my house. He said, I know on a Saturday you've got to have a 12 o'clock kickoff if you're going to be back in time to get rested to preach. I thought about you and your family. Would you, would you like to go? I said, I'd love to go. He said, I'm going to put you down. Count it done. Time I hung up, Brother Steve, I remembered. I've got two senior adults, a widow and a widower. I'm doing their wedding Saturday morning at 11 at the church. There are probably only going to be about 10 people there. Y'all know what I'm talking about. It's a low-key wedding. Widow who'd been married about 50 years. Widower that had been married about 50 years. Their spouses died. They're going to get married, but want to get married up at the church in God's house. Preacher, could you do our wedding Saturday morning? Now, I would have never done this to them, but I'm going to tell you, everything in me wanted to call that senior adult bride and say, you're going to have to get somebody else to do your wedding Saturday. I got a chance to go watch the Bulldogs. Now, I didn't want to do that, and I didn't do that. Wouldn't have done that. But my flesh, Brother Glenn, just wanted one time to see what does it feel like to get a last-minute invitation to go to SEC football game and call the folks up at the church and say, you'll have to find somebody else. I've got a chance to go watch a football game. Jesus teaches here in Caesarea Philippi. If that's how you make your spiritual decisions, you'll never be my disciple. When everything's going great and all is well, Jesus said, that's good when that happens, but that's not what being my follower is about. If you're going to follow me, you've got to deny yourself. Take up your cross every day and follow me.